This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast this week is Michiel Schipperes, CEO of Sana Commerce. We learned 10 years ago that B2B was very different from B2C. The problem for these companies, if they have this very special and unique relationship with their customers and they put in place a B2C e-commerce platform is that this platform is not supporting the nature of their relationships. They run into all kinds of issues with their customers. They don't see the adoption that they would like because these customers, they go online, they try to order, but they do not see the information that they're looking for or the information is inaccurate. So they will not use the e-commerce platform anymore. They'll just pick up the phone and, and, and revert back to their old way of working. If they're not able to make this transition with them and service these customers online the same way they have been doing offline, well, that will definitely damage their business. This is Michiel. He's been working in e-commerce since 1999 when he joined the ISME group. In the years following, he consulted with many distributors and manufacturers on how to successfully set up an online sales channel. These lessons learned from more than 100 B2B e-commerce cases were used to develop the SANA Commerce concept. And in 2011, SANA was founded. Since then, Michiel is pursuing two missions simultaneously. Firstly, helping companies worldwide achieving e-commerce success. And secondly, building a company culture that people love and it enables them to be their best selves. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Michiel to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the market for e-commerce and why so many companies don't achieve the e-commerce success that they hope for. We dig deeper into the question, what needs to be done differently from a product strategy standpoint to solve this global challenge? And lastly, we discuss Michiel's standpoint on what's required to build a software business that turns customers into advocates in a way that's highly scalable. By listening to this podcast, you'll learn three things. Firstly, why what customers say they need is often not what they want. And getting this wrong can severely undermine your competitiveness. Secondly, that value differentiation starts with your foundation and done well helps you to escape the competitional features. And thirdly, why you have to be more strategic earlier on your journey to avoid things just happening to you, especially around your value proposition. Hi, Michiel. Thank you for being the guest today on my podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. 
It's a pleasure. And we've been working together for a good time now and I've become impressed of the company that you run, Sana Commerce. That was only a matter of time to be on my podcast here. So uh, and let the world know what this company is all about. If you would use two or three words to characterize yourself as an entrepreneur, what words would you use? <laughs> yeah, I saw this one coming. I would say I'm really result-driven, pretty pragmatic to get to results quickly. And I'm always looking for improvement, both on personal level as well as on a professional and business and company level. Yeah, that's how I know you. Yeah, that's what you are at the end. Yeah. So Sano Commerce, company that started a while ago. Maybe you can kind of elaborate a little bit on that, but you're in the e-commerce space. How did you get into the e-commerce space? How did it all start? Well, the company basically started a bit over 10 years ago. It was a spin-off for, from purely services company. So we implemented e-commerce platforms and we did that mostly for brands and retailers. And around that time, around 10, 12 years ago, we recognized the need for, from B2B companies also to be more active, more involved in commerce. But we also learned that that was different, it was a different game. If you look at B2C commerce, it's really a more transactional relationship that these retailers have with their customers, right? But for B2B business, it's very different. They, they really have a relationship, a strong relationship with their customers. In many cases, they actually know their names of their customers. They know their preferences. And over yeah. the years that they have been a supplier to their customers, they have made a lot of, let's say, they have done a lot of personalization in terms of specific prices, price agreements, trade agreements. They can pay on, a, on account, right, on invoice. They have all other sorts of terms and conditions around the order process. So we learned 10 years ago that B2B was very different from B2C. And we launched this company, Sana Commerce, to build a product specifically for these B2B companies and specifically around the nature of the relationships that they build and that they have with their customers. Yeah, I can see that. And B2C is definitely uh, completely different. Also, not volume. another thing is volume. And, uh, exactly. and the repeat orders and all of those type of things. The whole nature of everything is very different. And still today, most e-commerce platforms that are available to B2B companies, they originate from the B2C space. That's where they grew up. That's where they became successful. Whereas Sana is started from day one, just focusing on this B2B company. So that's wholesale distribution manufacturing companies. And yeah. it's specifically designed designed and built to serve these businesses. So that's also why it's very different. Well, that brings me to a question that is always dear to my heart, like what is the problem that you're solving? Because if the majority of the vendors out there are coming from the B2C space, and you decided, wait a minute, there's sort of a gap in the market, there needs to be something for B2B. What problem did you see with those companies that try to kind of use a B2C product to do B2B business? The problem for these companies, if they have this very special unique relationship with our customers and they put in place a b2c e-commerce platform is that this platform is not supporting the nature of their relationships and what does that mean very to make it very tangible or very concrete it, it just means that if a customer goes online and they go to this e-commerce platform and they want to place an order that they cannot find all this information that they were that is helping them tailor their online experience. So for instance, they go to the e-commerce platforms and they do not see their specific prices, their specific pricing logic. They cannot see all the ins and outs about the availability of products. 
because availability of products in the B2C context is rather simple, right? You buy a book, you know it's available or not. But in the B2B setting where, you, for instance, you are a contractor and you need supplies for your contracting uh, construction site, you need it to have it at a specific date, at a specific time, you need to be 100% sure that it's available. And it's not just one book, right? There's a tons of materials that you need to have at that specific time and date to fit your schedule and that's a whole different process and a whole different kind of dependency that is there and b2c platforms do not support that because they're just focused on bringing the transaction in and it's very straightforward and very simple you buy the book you pay online and that's it right and with these the b2b companies this whole way of working and the the requirements that these companies have for an e-commerce environment is much much different yeah, maybe also the distinction between short-term business versus long-term business. Absolutely. I can imagine that. Absolutely. Yeah. These companies, you know, a typically B2B company, they buy from their supplier like maybe once a week or twice a week even. And they build all this, you know, by doing all these transactions, the suppliers gathering a lot of information that is allowing them to further optimize the online shopping experience, right? So there's a lot more information. It's really, like you say, a different nature of the relationship, more long-term. And gathering all this information over time will allow a B2B supplier or a wholesale distribution manufacturer to deliver much more value also in their online environment. Yeah. So what is the opportunity for a B2B company if they get this right, if they, if they choose the right platform? What, what is the difference that you see be, sort of before and after? Because you've been in the business for a long time. You see companies that start from scratch, which yeah. is, of course, new companies typically. But a lot of companies likely are going for a second wave, right? Yeah. Yeah, we see more and more. We, we, we typically love what we sometimes call the burn victims. It's the companies that put in place a B2C platform because their vendor were, was telling them, oh, we can also be, do B2B, it's no problem, it's all e-commerce. But then they run into these issues. They're, so they put a B2C or an e-commerce platform in place that originally is more B2C. And then they run into all kinds of issues with their customers. They don't see the adoption that they would like. Because these customers, they go online, they try to order, but they do not see the information that they're looking for, or the information is inaccurate. So they will not use the e-commerce platform anymore. They'll just pick up the phone and, and, and revert back to their old way of working. So typically, they see very low adoption of these kind of e-commerce platforms. And with a more you know, specific B2B e-commerce platform in place, you see much, much higher adoption, much more customer satisfaction. And it just means that for these B2B companies that have build these kind of relationships over many, many years, that they're also now, you know, the e-commerce platform is basically an extension of that. So they're able to build the same kind of relationships online as they have always done offline. And that's really the promise for them. Yeah. Does it help them to grow faster? Does it help them to grow their customers and the impact they have on their customers faster? Absolutely. But it's essential actually for their business to evolve because if they are, you know, it's also the, it's a fact that their customers want them to be online. So I think they're, if they're not able to make this transition with them and service these customers online the same way they have been doing offline, well, that will definitely damage their business. But in the other hand, just like you're saying, if they continue to serve their customers online in the right way, of course, they, these customers will keep coming back. These customers will be advocates for them. These customers will spend more. So it's all about success of their business and growth yeah. of their business, both top line as well as bottom line. 
that's what we're all doing it for at the end. You know, that's where you can create you create your flywheel. Exactly, so, exactly. But I so we see these examples where customers, you know, implement B two C commerce and uh, not being aware that it's you know not delivering that same kind of service or experience to their customer. That's where we see really where 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 customers will see low adoption and will run into issues with customer satisfaction, customer retention. Yeah, yeah. That's what you try to avoid at all costs. So, I mean, I've been in this software business for for a while, like 20, 25 plus years. Of course, seeing that e-commerce is not exactly a new a new terrain. I also know that there are many vendors out there that do B2B commerce these days. I was going to m- mention them. But, I mean, the years that you've been building the platform, what have you done differently from vendors out there in the market? And, and why did you choose for, those, for the things that you did different? Yeah, exactly. So 10 years ago, like I said, we ran into these B2B companies. We understood the nature of the relationship they have with their customers. So we dig, we, we were digging deeper and we want to figure out how does it work and where do they maintain all this information about these customer relationships. And for B2B companies, that's their ERP system. So that was one of the first thing we, we discovered is if we want to take this online experience to the next level, we need to f- get the information from the source. And that's how everything started. We said, okay, let's, let's look at these ERP systems. What ERP systems are these companies typically using? How do they work? And how can we make this e-commerce platform we're going to develop, how can we make this e-commerce platform work as one with the ERP system? Because that was actually what we found was needed to deliver the same experience online as offline is making available all the rich information that has been built up over decades, potentially in this customer relationship to get all this information from the ERP system and make it available in the e-commerce environment. And that was exactly the difference that we saw with the B2C e-commerce platforms that we were also implementing in our in, in this previous company that Sana spun out of. We saw that these B2C e-commerce platforms have, had a different approach. And of course, we're able to connect e-commerce platform with the ERP system, but connecting is not the same thing and didn't allow access to all the information in the ERP system. And that's what we recognized was really needed. And not just the information, also the business logic, all the complex calculations around pricing, et cetera. We needed to expose them. We understood that it could only work if we could get ERP and our e-commerce platform to work as one. So that's how we started with a completely different philosophy and a different architecture and on, on top of those, everything else that we have done has been based. Let me make a small interruption here. Michiel just explained the essential choice that they've made right from the start to found their company on a completely different philosophy. To build from within ERP rather than to connect to it. On the surface, a small difference, but in reality, a matter to thrive rather than barely survive for their ideal customers. He's touching upon a number of fundamental traits remarkable software businesses master. They understand they cannot please everyone, so they go deep on who they're for and who they're not for. With that insight, they build something that's different, not just better, and create new value possibilities that deliver a shift in value. You can learn to master these traits as well and start turning your software business into one that your customers keep talking about. To start, I'd recommend you to read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. You can find that on Amazon.com. or. If you want to accelerate progress right away, join the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission Tribe. Visit valueinspiration.com to understand if you're eligible. Back to the interview. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's radically different from what you see out there. Even uh, big companies, ERP companies like SAP, haven't done it that way. Funny enough, because they've no. been acquiring uh, these businesses. And and it's completely normal to for let, let's imagine you create your own e-commerce platform. Of course, you start from scratch and you start to build functionality around creating product information, looking up customer information, doing basket calculation. Of course, if you start building an e-commerce system from scratch, that's, that's all the functionality that you will create. At Sana, we didn't do that because we had this different philosophy. We said, okay, ERP system is already perfectly capable of creating products with all the product attributes calculating prices, doing very complex business rules about around stock and product availability. And we said, why would we rebuild all that functionality if that's already available? And so we didn't do that. So it's because we had the different philosophy that we created a completely different solution and other solutions that start from scratch and build out all yeah. this functionality. Now, if you connect them to the ERP system, you have a lot of redundancy. You're storing information in two places. You're doing calculations in two places. Of course, there are always there are differences, there are hiccups, there are errors. And that is hurting yeah. the customer, in the end, hurting the customer experience on the front end when they're going to the web store and they're trying to place their orders. Yeah, I can imagine that. You know, the moment you, you cannot trust the information there. I mean, you were talking about yourself and then you revert back to picking up the phone and, and ordering the way you used to do in the 90s. Happens all um, the time. It happens all the time. And that's when you have a failed e-commerce project. And not just that, you have unhappy customers because they want you to be online. Yeah, and it's a lot of companies at the end think they can tick off the box. Okay, we have a web store. Now, now, now we are done. And actually, what's not like that? No, no e-commerce is constantly do? evolving, right? The customer experience or customer expectations are constantly going up. Mobile, SEO, SEA, online marketing—you know how customers want to interact with their suppliers changes all the time. So you can never say, "Okay, I checked the box, the box on e-commerce." It's an ongoing evolution, so to speak. No, but I'm, yeah, but that I agree with that. But it's also that what they're coming from and what they are. What they at the minimum level expect is the experience they had when they were calling you directly. And that was yeah. accurate information because it was one-to-one. Exactly. And you speak with someone and this person is sitting behind this ERP system, has access to all the relevant yeah. information for you, can look up, you know, maybe you bought something five years ago. They can access that yeah. data. They can tell you what are the spare parts related to this product. That's all the information they have at the fingertips when they pick up the phone and they call like a customer service rep. Well, that's exactly the information they also want to have in their web store. And they do self-service and they do it maybe in the evenings and over the weekends when the customer service department is not in, of course. That's exactly the point. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but at the end, yeah, you, you offer them something extra where you hope to help them with a little bit of self-service and you create the opposite effect. That's, that's the beauty of it. That's why we had this aha moment about 10 years ago and it still amazes our prospects when we get them in a demo. We explain this philosophy and all they heard before from other vendors were like, you know, complex architectures, a separate setup, of course, for ERP, a separate setup for e-commerce, storing the same information in two places, complex interfaces that are very expensive also to build and are not very reliable. Well, if we tell them about our approach and our philosophy, you know, you know, they are amazed because they never yeah. thought of it because the beauty is, is just like you're saying, the beauty is in the simplicity, but it's not simplicity at, at the expense of value. It's simplicity True. 
and Very even more value than a more complex setup, at least for a wholesale distribution manufacturing company that wants to go online and again, provide these kind of, or enable them to build these relationships with their customer. Yeah, because that's the goal, that long-term relationship, keep that relationship. So going through this whole development cycle and the approach that you took, did that, for example, give any surprising byproducts that you didn't see coming, but, but appeared to be valuable? You mean the development product of the initially of, or when we developed a solution? Well, I mean, you go in with a particular philosophy and yeah. you expect it will deliver X. And, but possibly sometimes I hear that taking that route also kind of creates things that are of value to your customers that you didn't even think of in the, in the, in the beginning. Well, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question perfectly, but what we saw is that there's so much tremendous value in this approach and we discover new things all the time where we can pull from the ERP system where we say, hey, if we, if we take this approach, we have taken it for, for instance, order processing and transactions, but we can do it also for outstanding invoices and allow the customers of our customers to go online and pay their outstanding invoices, even if they place these orders over the phone. Or we also see this, this approach where we bring in product information management from an external system. Or we take CPQ functionality around configuration of product. So we apply the same philosophy on other tooling that we also include. And again, we make this tooling, which is available in the company, we make it available directly to the end customer. Yeah. Of course, in yeah. a very user-friendly way and only allow them to access the information that's relevant to them. But the whole philosophy goes goes further, not much further now than just yeah. ERP and just placing orders. And you can just keep building on that. Exactly. The philosophy we can apply to different different aspects and we're constantly doing that, expanding the reach of this approach and this idea that we had over 10 years ago. Fascinating. And you see, I mean, like there's, everybody is always thinking about kind of, yeah, being in, in a particular category and doing it with more functionality and differentiating on that level. And, but just taking a different approach. But one of the things that I write about in my book is about defensible differentiation. Creative tech is something that the only way to match that is to completely start from scratch again. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's, it starts really out at the foundation and the idea that we had when we started this. And also, I love it. I, I personally started in doing sales, obviously, for this product. And I absolutely loved it because you were not competing by features, not saying, oh, we got a nice feature here or it's more user-friendly. No, it was completely like, okay, we have a different philosophy and either you like it or you don't like it. But if you like it, there's nothing else like it. You, you, you know, it's, we had companies listening to our stories that we absolutely love this. We want this kind of e-commerce solution, but first we want to select two or three other vendors who have a similar approach so we can compare you. And after a couple of weeks or months, they came back and say, oh, you're the only one who actually does this. So yeah, we have no way then to go for Sana actually, because, you know, we love your philosophy and we understand that this is the way to go for us. That's the heaven, the holy grail to so, so to say. And yeah, it tells again, I mean, if you, th- if you think a, bit, a little bit different about how, do you, how to approach it, and you come to the problem with, with expertise yeah, and experience that you can create something that is really making a difference there. Talking about sales, when you started to kind of sell this, was it always that obvious? Was it always like this aha moment or did you have maybe also had a little bit of yeah, a reluctant approach in the beginning because it was so different? Now, it took us a while to discover our sweet spot, to be honest. So when we started this, to be honest, it was we came up with the idea more from a technical perspective. 
So we said, okay, you have the ERP system. And it was driven by the questions we got from our prospects, these B2B companies that were popping up and they were all asking about how can we also have uh, proper e-commerce capabilities. So it was driven from the customer asking us to help them find a solution for that. But it was more driven by technology, like how do we, what is possible with the ERP system and how do we build an e-commerce solution that, you know, works very closely with the ERP system and fully integrates with it. And only later on did we actually discover the true value that a company gets out of that, right? To be honest, in the beginning, it was more about total cost of ownership and being live fast and those kind of things. But actually we learned on as we acquired more and more customers, there was not so much about it. For some customers, it was about total cost of ownership and reduction of the implementation time. But for a lot of customers, it was actually about much more, about the fact that that was how they had run their business for decades. And that actually this nature of their relationship, that this solution that we came up with was actually the only way to facilitate the kind of nature of the relationship that they have with their customers. So that's, that was an interesting insight for sure. Yeah, yeah, it sets them apart. It strengthens what yeah. they were already doing, and rather yeah. than, than than downgrade it with a different well, with an approach that might give the same functional result, but not the result that you want to have on a, on a business level. Interesting. So, I mean, in that whole journey, lessons learned. What has been the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome in growing Sana, and, and how did you overcome that? Oh, I can answer this so, on so many different levels because every time, of course, new obstacles are popping up. Well, you know, we are a global company these days. We have 350 people around the world. We got offices in New York, in Colombia, in, in the UK, in Germany, and in Australia and Dubai. So, and all in all together, we're, we're a pretty sizable company, I would say, with 350 people. However, in all the, the individual re- regions, we're kind of a startup, right? Yeah. We're quite unknown, to be honest. We're working on that, but still, you know, there's a team here, there's a team there. And in every market, we have different competitors. We have local heroes, typically. You have different rules, different cultures. So a lot of challenges in all the different regions. I think that's still the biggest hurdle for us to overcome is to, to, you know, to build our reputation and our name and to do the education about how we're different and the impact that can make for customers in Germany, in the UK, in Latin America, in Australia, to figure out how does that work in all the different regions. That's still something I think we're quite successful in that already. But of course, we're, we're very ambitious because we want to put this concept and this technology in the hands of all these businesses around the world that can benefit from it. It feels like we have you know, we can feel, literally feel the opportunity, but it's a matter of how do we get the message out there? How do we build the brand, the reputation? How do we get the opportunity to tell this story to the right people at the right moment? That's keeping me up at night. And that's still something that we are overcoming and we're making good progress, but still going forward, this will be top of mind for us, how we, how we can always take the next steps on this. So what is, for example, an aspect that you're already implementing that has worked out well? An aspect of what? 
an aspect of that, yeah, of overcoming that that obstacle. Of, oh um, well, uh, yeah, uh, sure. An uh, aspect of that is having, of course, local teams employed. It takes a German to sell to a German, so you need to have Germans on your team, of course. So we have a team in Germany and in the UK, and so you need to understand locally what is the the business language. You need people that can build relationships in these markets. So that's what we have first thing already a couple of years ago, and then we're expanding. You have a sales, we add BDRs to, we add marketing to it. We add product specialists to it in these markets to better and better serve these markets. So we are growing our teams and our local presence in these regions because I, th- I think that's absolutely key. And more and more decision-making will take place in the, in the regions also in the future so that the decisions take place as close to the, to the customers as possible. But that's, of course, always a challenge to, again, find these people, to grow these teams, and to be comfortable with handing over the responsibilities when it comes to that. Yeah. How do you keep people aligned so that you that you don't have like five different things going on? We got a very disciplined meeting rhythm where we involve people on a weekly basis from around the world. So they're all in one meeting. We got a very structured agenda. We share the topics that are going on. So that is important to have the meeting rhythm. Also, the reporting takes place centrally. And also the, the tooling we use is, is for instance, CRM system, marketing Maybe, systems yeah. shared globally. So you can report across all the regions. So a combination of things really help is, is keeping us aligned there. Yeah. Uh, talking about the journey that you've been on and yeah, hundreds of customers around the world. I mean, it's impressive for a company of your size that you are already literally in, in all the global regions. What are you most proud of? What is an anecdote that's, that you keep telling? One of the things I am most proud of, actually, that we have seen so much success scaling internationally and selling into, you know, almost 100 customers we have in Germany already. And I can tell you, a German customer is not very eager to sign with a Dutch company on an English contract. We don't have even a German entity. So they sign with a Dutch entity. There are a lot of other things that they don't really like that much. If they could choose, they would prefer to go for a German company, right? But it's because they see the value that we deliver, that we uniquely deliver, that no other German competitor can offer them. That they say, hmm, okay, we don't really like that, but we see the value, so we, we accept it, right? And I think that's why we have been able to succeed also in the, in the US and in Latin America and all these other countries. They see the value, and that's why they, we are able to overcome these hurdles and why they accept to work with a with a company that is headquartered in the Netherlands. So that's do- yeah. definitely something I'm pretty proud of when I, when I speak to other tech entrepreneurs. I know how hard it is to cross these regions. And it's one is because of technology and the other is because of the people we recruited. One of the success factors is also asking people for us to move abroad and to take the SANA DNA and to build a team around that. I think that's also something that has worked really well and also for our team to travel around and to keep everything aligned. Yeah, those are, are really the success factors, I would say, to get us where we are today. Yeah, I mean, it starts again. The whole thing is at the end, it starts with the value that you deliver and showing how you are different and not different in terms of how you're different to your competitors, but how you can make a difference for your customers. Exactly. And once they see that, yeah, then it's hard to say no, yeah. which is what you prove here. So, you know, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, which is about how do you create a remarkable software business that, that keeps me up at night, that question, or yeah. not, not, maybe not up at night, but it keeps me very motivated. Yeah. Being, in, being an entrepreneur and running the company, sign up for so long, what do you believe is a, is a core trait that a software company needs to have in order to do remarkable things? 
Yeah, and it keeps me up at night as well, right? So I read your book and it's, yeah, it's the passion I think you have for the topic is uh, contagious. Let me answer like this. If I would ever found another company, I would definitely do it on the fundaments like Sana to not compete on features, but have a fundam- have something that's fundamentally different. I think in your book you refer to it and other people yeah. refer to it to have a 10x advantage over other companies, right? Provide yeah. 10x more value, not be 10% better. Well, it doesn't mean if it's 10x or 3x or something or 5x, but at least it's a certain mindset. And I think yeah. that is extremely important, especially in the the dense market where you have already a lot of established players, right? I think that's also yeah. what we struggle with. Also in the, B, in the in the e-commerce space, SAP is there, Oracle is there, Adobe is there, Salesforce is there. They're all there. And they got a strong reputation and n- nobody ever got fired for contracting with Oracle, for instance, right? So we have to fight that and we have to overcome that. So if I would ever start a new company, I would definitely want to build it on top of, you know, having really differentiated value and thinking how you can really solve a big problem in a different way that allows you still to compete with other big players that will certainly be there in any space that is attractive. So I think that would be key for me. Well said, because that's where, yeah, how it all starts. And I think if you start on that foot, then you keep yourself honest about what, what you're really doing and you make the right decisions on that. So very strong. So out of all the, the lessons that you've learned, the mistakes that you made, the success that you had, what are the tidbits of wisdom? And if you would have to give advice to other CEOs, tech CEOs out there, what would you advise them to do or not to do in order to succeed? Maybe you already answered that with, with what you just said, but maybe there's another thing that you would like to add to that. Yeah. I think what just, if I look at my own journey, we just happened to run into this problem when we just happened to rethink it and start solving it. And we didn't think about it all that strategically, to be honest. In the beginning, like I said, it's a spinoff of a different company. It was just a new product of this company. And then we saw the potential and at some point we really spun it off and it took off. What I would suggest to other tech entrepreneurs is to be more strategic early on in this journey. And a good example is also, you know, about company culture and core values. Typically, they just develop. And at some point after a couple of years, people take time to write them down. And that works. And that's great. But you have only one opportunity to get it right. And typically, if you make it to three or five times, you probably got it right. Otherwise, it would never take you. This journey will not take you so long. But I would say become more strategic about your business from more earlier stage. And that also means or that, that, that starts maybe with getting your value proposition right and thinking about it strategically and not just having it happen to you, so to speak, right? And it works and it can work, but I, I think you can grow faster, scale faster, have a better North Star when you are more strategic about these things. It's okay, what are, what are the customers I want to serve and how are we serving and what problem are we solving? And, and take a bit more time in the beginning where typically in the beginning, of course, you're, you're finding product market fit and all those things, but yeah. spend some time there to be strategic about your value proposition, about your values, about these other things that typically I see startup scale up, pick up later on in their journey. I would just say, Keep talking. 
it's music to my ears. Yeah, I know. I can keep talking you know, very long about this, but I will, might at some point start boring your audience. But yeah, there are so many things I wish I knew before. And, and that's, of course, the nice part about maybe starting a business after, after already having, having done it, because there's so many lessons learned that you can apply then. And definitely I would be more, yeah, like I say, more strategic and better thinking about what I want to achieve and how I want to achieve it and having a bit more structure or thinking behind it. Well, that's absolutely something we can provide. So what is next for you? Where do you want to be in 12 to 24 months time with Sana? A big movement for us is the decentralization, putting a bit more, you know, bigger teams, but also more responsibility in the different regions. That's definitely a big topic for us. Another is on the commercial side, it's really about taking our conversations to the next level. So making sure that we have more yeah, structure, more, more consistency. Actually, more consistency on two levels. More consistency between how our sales team gets the value across to our customers so that we have a sales team of around 40, 42 people, I think, that they all tell the SANA story in the same way and talk about the value in the same way and take the perspective of the customer, of our customer, and not just our customer, which is something we have to train them on. So consistency in that level, but also consistency from the customer perspective in their customer journey so that they get a consistent message when they come to our website, when they speak to BDR, when they speak to sales, when they speak to customer success, even when they speak potentially to an implementation consultant, that they all understand the value that we bring and help them uncover the value, help them get that value out of the Sana Commerce product. So that even when they talk to an implementation consultant, they will, they will speak about the features maybe and connect them to the value that they can bring to the customer and even maybe prioritize these features based on delivering them the value as quickly as possible. So consistency between the people, but also consistency from a customer perspective in getting them to really understand our, you know, getting them to understand the kind of value they will get out of a solution like Sana. And that is, you know, we grew very hard and then sometimes you don't take enough time to train everyone you bring on board, right? And then, yeah, then I think these times like this are a great moment to actually reflect on that and see how can we, fine-tune everything and again do more training and get more consistency between different people on different teams yeah i completely agree with that that's that's the alignment part so the moment you grow bigger as well it's important to keep everybody all the silos aligned so that's it gets velocity rather than just speed in different directions exactly it requires a lot of discipline and you know we want to be really entrepreneurial going fast you know doing all kinds of stuff that will grow our business, but we also want to do it in a disciplined way, training people, having the right processes in place. Yeah, finding the balance between those two things is, is definitely a challenge. Very good. And success for that for the, coming, for the coming months. So where can people go and find out more about Sana Commerce and connect with you? Yeah, sure. No, it's sana-commerce.com. That's our web, uh, website. You can go to LinkedIn and find me there. So it's first name is Michiel in Dutch. So uh, M uh, and last name is Shippers, S-C-H-I-P-P-E-R-U-S. So connect with me on LinkedIn. And you know, if you've got any follow-up questions, feel free to ask. Well, thank you very much, Michiel. It was a pleasure to talk to you as always. I learned a couple of things again. And I think my audience will have a large number of aha moments that can take away from you. So thanks. Hope so. Thanks, Tom. And this ends my conversation with Michiel. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. 
And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Michiel Schipperus, CEO of Sano Commerce. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.